I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The UK Film Review Festival is back Life is never dull, is it, Chris? That's for sure. It's certainly not. And um, yeah, it's certainly not going to be dull today this evening this morning whenever you're listening to this episode because lucky listeners we're back with five more films for this year's uk film review festival um i should say there are gonna be at least 60 films at this year's event which is our biggest event um Mm. and we are gonna do our best to get through um, as many of them on the podcast before the festival but I have a very strong suspicion that in order to do justice to the reviews and to do justice to the films we'll probably be still reviewing them after the event as mm. well because I think what happened last year was we ended up having to review a lot of them in one episode and it was just not very nice so I'd like to keep this format I'd really like to review them do them justice because as i said these are great films you know these are not boring films these are all worthwhile and obviously we'd love to yeah we'll be putting out posts about the films that are going to be at the festival um and obviously on the podcast we're going to promote the ones that are going to be there but obviously the ones that we end up reviewing after the festival then try and seek them out if you didn't catch them but to be honest, just watch all of them. I know yeah. it's 60 films, but, you know, just watch all of them. Just watch do, the, do watch the whole lot. Why not? Yeah, go go I think, for it. You know, that's what I'll be doing. So I think it's just good to make sure that we recognise the calibre of this year's entries mm. and also to just once again thank our uh, filmmakers because mm. they've been amazing. I must say, I, I, I'm constantly sending them emails, asking them for stuff and saying, hey, can you send me this? Can you send me that? And 
they they do it you know with a smile and you know, a lot of these guys they've got other jobs they've got other things they're doing um but they, they're always just really really happy that mm. they're going to get to show their film to mm. a few more people and i think that's you know, why we do it and mm-hmm. um very excited about tonight's uh array because well actually for several reasons mm. um one is that we have picked a couple of comedies because i know a few yeah. of the episodes have been a yeah. bit kind of heavy and don't get me wrong there's some heavy films here too but i think it's good to get a few uh, comedic elements into the episode and also we have a film that has got one of my favorite actors in of all time uh the toby jones is in uh, one of these episodes uh yes. one of these films and i love toby jones a uh, huge fan of Pretty much everything he's done. Yeah, I don't think yeah. I've ever seen him in anything I've, I've not liked. Yeah, call us uh, what, What's your favourite Toby Jones film, Brian? Oh, that's a difficult one. Put you on the spot there, haven't I? Yeah. Sink a Tale of Soldier Spy? Ah, uh, uh, solid choice. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Playing safe, probably, saying, saying that. But I thought he was good in Dad's Army, actually, as well. I always forget he was in that. Um, yeah. I, I think, for me... I saw him in a, a quite a random uh, film called Barbarian Sound Studio or Sound oh, System years right. ago, um, where he plays this guy doing sound effects. Um, <laughs> Sounds and, good. Yeah. yeah, but it's a horror. I think it's a it's like a horror mm-hmm. film. Um, and you know, I I couldn't tell you what the the full plot of that film is, but you know when a film leaves you with a really good feeling. And I yeah. just remember f- loving that film at the time. Yeah. It's been absolutely donkey's year since I've seen it. But um, he, he's also one of those guys that's, he's often in films, but he's a, he's not necessarily the lead. So like he's in like the Hunger Games, yeah. things like that. But, but he's just great. Whenever he turns up, he's always great, I think. I, I think he's just one of those quality actors that you know you're going you're gonna to get a good turn from him, that he will put in a proper shift as an actor. And you remember the part he plays, whatever that is, whether it's a supporting role or more of a kind of a central leading role, he will always stick out in your mind because he's that kind of actor. He's got a great voice. He's got he's got great eyes. I think great actors will have great eyes, and they you watch them, they watch you. It's it's real real sort of charisma coming through. I think, and all actors need that. I think. Actually, funny enough, you mentioned Dad's Army, but another show he was in, which I absolutely love, is um, Detectorist. Yeah, yeah, with oh. Mackenzie Crook. Yeah. yeah, that show is on annual repeat. Now, I, as everyone probably understands, I, I watch film probably more than TV, but yeah. I have certain TV shows that I will watch annually. I will yeah. watch the whole lot, and that is one of them. I love that show so much. It's so low-key, yeah. but it just has a charm and... Yeah, it's so gentle. It's gentle, isn't it? It's, it's a yeah. very gentle sort of ride for the for the viewer. It's mm. pleasant. It's laid back. It's very English as well, which I, yeah, I, oh, like. Yeah, definitely. I like. Which actually will be an interesting point to bring up tonight because I think we've got an American comedy and a British comedy. Yeah. So yes, it'll be are. interesting to yeah. get your take on that, which yeah. we'll get to. Because mm-hmm. actually, first up on the list is Pandemic Spy. You really take for granted being able to just sit on a bench. It's an essential part of my work. Much easier to do in the before times. You sit down, coffee, newspaper, 
Always have your props ready. Look blankly across the horizon. Ah, spot your contact. They sit down, pretend you haven't seen each other. Little bit of coded chit-chat. Lovely day. Yes, much weather we're having. Slide the briefcase over. Keep it casual. In a pandemic... In a pandemic, though, I forget it. Government banned it. The benches, not my work. Um, that's still going on. Oh, I like this. Did you? Yeah. I, I really that, enjoy yeah. this. <laughs> you know, because it look, quite apart from being uh, a brilliantly constructed piece that it is very funny and it's well observed. You know, it does raise an interesting practical point. You know, that during the pandemic, most people who could work from home, there were certain people that couldn't work at all, right? You, you appreciate the parameters for most people is that if you had an office-based job, you worked from home. But what about a spy? What does a spy do <laughs> when they're supposed to meet on a park bench at a certain time, you know, on a certain day, a certain week, in a certain month? How do they cope? How do they manage? And I love this. I just think it's such a an inventive piece. And it almost ends too soon. I just want it to go on a bit longer. But maybe it could well be the fact that it only runs for 8 minutes 30 seconds. It's probably just as well. But they've packed so much in. I love it. And some great lines there where, where they talk about the, um, the code words that they normally use. <laughs> and she'll say, lovely day. And he says, yes, we're having much weather. <laughs> it's very, um, it's very, I mean, we mentioned Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. It's very kind of bondish. It's clear what it's sending up, but it does it very well. I think it was great. I loved it. Yeah. He's, it, yeah the filmmaker, uh, Daniel D. Moses, is really playing with the tropes of comedy and spy movies very mm. well. It's like a spoof almost. It sort of feels... Yeah. Austin Powers or yeah that's it it's that without yeah yeah. because also there's a legacy of that there's a legacy of um like our heritage who who we kind of identify as and Mm. then when you throw that into um, this very modern uh era of the pandemic it then allows that kind of to come out in very comedic force I yeah I did find myself chuckling a lot of the lines and I love the way that they were Keeping that straight face, keeping yeah. that straight face of like, you know, yeah, we're being we're being serious here, and it, it just worked. It had all the elements as well that I love from a short film, which yeah. is like simple, uh, good idea that is carried out. I don't think it needs to be any longer. Definitely not. I think yeah. it, you're going to outstay your welcome if you start trying to build in like a plot and things yeah. like that. Yeah, um, I, I guess so. It it kind of it gets its point across very quickly. And it has to be in that mm. being that kind of length. But there's some great visual gags as well. I like I liked it when they was out in the park and they were trying to avoid each other but not stand too close to each other. <laughs> they're saying, Hi Jim, hi Jack, Trevor, whoever it was, you know. Um <laughs> but yeah, I I think one of the reasons why I think it uh always hits home something like anything to do with spies, we all love James Bond. I say we we all love James Bond, but I mean James Bond is a character. You, you kind of aspire to when you're growing up. You wish you could be, in your dreams, you wish you could be some something like a spy. You know, when the practicalities come, 
become apparent, you think, oh, no, I'll give that a miss. But, you know, it's just nice to sort of look at it from a distance. and You think, wouldn't that be exciting to live that kind of way? And that's something a lot of us grow up with. Is We grow up with James Bond, you know, men of a certain age. Uh, I say men because it's. I think it's more of a man's thing than a woman's thing, isn't it? Although there are many, many female spies who do the same job. I mean, there is a lot of talk about Bond's re- James Bond's replacement being a woman, and why not? You know, they all do that job. But it seemed to be more of a boy's thing when you were growing up, you know, and that makes me like it even more. Uh, yeah, I think there is a lot of um, <clears throat> playfulness with that, like playing on the – because um, – yeah, so the female uh, spy, uh, sorry, I'm just going to bring up the cast list, yeah. uh, Ashlyn Dath, um, who plays Penny, is like kind of, um, she's the, what's the sort of phrase? The other character, Fisher, played by Brooks Livermore, yeah. is, Livermore is the kind of like silly one. He's a bit yeah. kind of buffoonish, where she's sort of like, she says something like to him, oh, I, you know, I don't think they heard you in Moscow. When yeah, he's, like, sh- he pulls down his mask and gets sort of yeah. frustrated. I know. And, that that dynamic, that chemistry is excellent. It really works. Yeah. It's just sort of playing them off each other. I thought it was yeah. brilliant. She, she's definitely the straight one, isn't she, I suppose? If you, can, yeah. if you can look at a kind of a um, a straight character and a funny character, she's the straight character. She's the one who's taking her, her art very seriously, isn't she? You know, I, I just love where the way it also draws attention to visual gags because he, he's sort of sitting there in a, in a rain mac and a bowler hat. And she said, "Are you going to? When are you going to stop dressing like a, a comic strip spy? You know, <laughs> and it, it's kind of making it's drawing attention to it, but it's also making making a gag out of it as well. But yeah, really good. You know, I was, you know, from the opening titles, the opening titles were really good as well. I mean, they were very kind of 1960s, and you kind of know what you're going to get, and that's that's good. It's comfortable. I think it's it's a very pleasing film." And I think, you know, funny enough, um, another film, actually the other comedy film, um, had aspects in it that were affected, obviously, by COVID. And a few of the films that we've reviewed for the festival have had COVID elements, or you could yeah. tell that maybe it's impacted the filming. And I think this sort of send-up is the perfect antidote to the pandemic, to have these kind of sketches come out of, you know, yeah. okay, well, imagine what would happen if you were a spy in the pandemic, yeah. right? Because it was all very serious. It was all very kind of bleak. And I think something like this just reminds us of the what it means to be British, uh, yeah. but also, you know, there's a globality, I think, to yeah. spies. And then also what it means to um, laugh again, laugh yeah. at this stuff and, and have a chuckle when yeah. actually, because it's so doom and gloom a lot of, of course the time. that's right i mean we uh, it's like, you know more now than ever we need to be able to laugh at things you know and i think what we do have a powerful weapon is our sense of humor and we know the british the british sense of humor is, is unique there are other humors worldwide you know that that attach to a certain nationality in a certain frame of mind but this is very british and I like that. And I think you've got, you'd have to say that the pandemic is going to be it's going to be a rich source of material for filmmakers. Mm. It will be. Um, it's bound to be, isn't it? Yeah, I think those stories that are you know, going to emerge, everyone's going to have stories. And I think the comedy right now is like the best place for it because it's like, look, do you know what? We need something different. But you're going to have like 
the proper evolved stories that come out of the pandemic later on but mm. i think everyone was kind of <laughs> done with it for a bit joey was kind of like Do you know what? actually i don't want to watch a film about the pandemic like, I, don't, I don't care how good it is whereas i think in sort of five ten years when people have you know, i'm sure we'll have other pandemics but yeah you know, hopefully not when people have maybe forgotten about it or, or you know coming to it with fresh eyes you know, to be able to then see filmmakers depict those stories that yeah. can come out of that but it's going to be interesting to see how they approach it. it's like anything like um i wrote my dissertation on the war on terror and how that right. had impacted film mm. and the reaction of filmmakers to wars are always mm. really interesting because some wars it's like okay well the filmmakers start making very patriotic films mm. because it's like you know get behind the troops and all that sort of stuff yeah. whereas there's other wars where yeah. actually it's the opposite it's very um divisive and they're making films that are attacking their own government because it's like you know look especially if they, there's a big anti-war um sentiment amongst mm. people that with something like the pandemic that affected everyone it will be interesting to see how filmmakers and artists and creatives decide to approach the subject because yeah. it i don't think we yet fully understand how we all felt about it i think it's still yet to be fully it, evolved yeah I, th I think it is probably a bit too soon isn't it to really be able to evaluate what mm. happened why it happened what the causes were how it's how we feel affected by it i'm really trying to set aside some time to watch this england which is it's actually on I think Sky now and features, well, features an account of the pandemic. Um, Kenneth Branagh. That, playing, I was going to say, is that the Kenneth Branagh one? Kenneth yeah. Branagh's playing Boris Johnson with some really good prosthetics. Um, so that's that's the first big stab at it, I think, trying to tell an authentic, straight and serious account of what happened. But it, it's fairly quick, though, isn't it? It's very quick after what we perceive as the end of the pandemic, because, you know, where did, where did it formally end? You know, you like to think that touch wood, we're living a relatively normal existence now, but, you know, can you really say it's ended? You know, but, so that seems very, very quick after the end, because, because just for that reason that you just described, that it's, it's very soon, it's very raw and very fresh in our minds. The, um, is it a public inquiry or an inquest that's just started? It's a public inquiry, isn't it? It's just started, which I think could go on for years. So still very early days. Yeah, I think so much will emerge at some point about everything that went on. But I think in terms of the you know, the creative response to it, I think we're, we're going to see some fairly quick results because I think it would have impacted people's lives mm. so much that they'll want to make a film there'll be an urge to sort of get that out of their system do you see what i mean like yeah it's cathartic isn't it it's yeah absolutely yeah. and with you know with something like pandemic spy where you've got the comedy element you've got the fourth wall breaking yeah and you've got the playing on the classic cinema tropes to kind of resonate that feeling of heritage and that feeling of mm. uh what it means to identify with a nation because i think that was a strong part of the pandemic was you know feeling mm. british again like mm. after brexit everyone kind of very much felt like who are we now like what yeah. does this even mean whereas with the pandemic it did there was a small period of, i know i remember a small period at least of feeling very kind of 
connected to British people and my identity and who I was. I'm sure yeah. other nations felt the same about yeah. you know, we're all going through this together. There's no there's no system, there's no class system, yeah. there's no race system when it came to this, yeah. um, that it was just affecting everyone. It was certainly a time when everyone pulled together, but I mean, I mean, God rest her, the Queen's speech at the time when she said, we will meet again, we will be together again. Mm. That was really quite inspiring when you think about it. And that is about unity, it's about bringing people together. And, you know, for a time, as you say, there, were, there was nothing dividing us, was there, at all? Because we were all suffering the same, the same thing, you know, we were suffering the consequences of the same evil force that that was let loose. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we we said we we're going to do a, a comedy, but it has felt slightly heavier because we've ended up talking about the pandemic quite a lot. That's where but it takes <laughs> you. That's where it takes you, though, isn't it? Because it is about the pan- pandemic, you know. So. It well, does... I think also there's a fine line, isn't there, between tragedy and comedy? And I think that yeah. a film like this knows that it's playing on a sensitive subject yeah. and doing it in a way that is so playful and lighthearted that you can't yeah. help but feel charmed by it. I don't think you're yeah. going to go into this thinking, oh, God, I feel rubbish about everything. It's more like, do you know what? Actually, there is a lighter side to all of this. And yeah. you know, the idea of what would spies do if they couldn't sit next yeah. to each other on a park bench? Because that is really the crux of it. You yeah. know? Um, I think that, for me, was why I, I just felt warmed by this yeah. film. No, I, loved, and I, I thought look, it was great. Um, I loved it. And, you know, look, you, you, think of, you think of a spy the first character you think of is James Bond and James Bond was very tongue in cheek. So that type of character, that type of storyline becomes a very good vehicle for taking the, the stress out of a subject and lightening it a bit more. And that's what this film does. Absolutely. So that was Pandemic Spy. And depending on when you're listening to this, you will be able to watch that UK Film Review Festival. If not, hopefully we can at least direct people to it because I think mm-hmm. it's worth seeking out. Yes. Um, I'm just going to change my running order because I would like to review the other comedy next. I think that's the best way to do them. Okay. Um, so we're going to move on to uh, the indie feature film, Moving Parts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And directed by Tom, uh, not Blasher. I can't, how do I pronounce that? Noblauch? I think you got it right there. You know that. You've, you know pra- you've been practicing, haven't you, that? Well, I always think about how I'm going to say it, and I'm sure Tom will be in touch with you to tell me that I've got it wrong. Yeah. But I find that what I do quite a lot is I will just say it fairly quickly and then hope that no one says it. Yeah. Okay, um, people don't know, sis. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's so what I'll I just, do. <laughs> so... And he's in the film as well, right? Yeah, um, yes. he, he plays one of the most uh, important characters alongside Will Forge, is, which I would have pronounced it Forget, but in the film it's Forge. I don't yeah, know if that was no. on purpose or not. Um, yeah. But this is about... Uh, so Will, uh, the character, is a fairly successful um, actor who was a child actor. He ends up in a load of kind of chimp movies um, yeah. and... <laughs> manages to like his agent gets him an award back in Omaha for like a lifetime yeah. achievement award even though yeah. he's only like in his 30s yeah. and the the film plays out with him coming back to town and a local writer who is Tom mm-hmm. um they're paired up together and they kind of journey through Will's 
past and some of the stories of like him and also who will is now mm. comes into play with all that stuff and it plays out i loved um the review of this on our website um i'm trying to remember who reviewed it it wasn't you was it no it wasn't me no nope. it might it might have been patrick um i've got it here let me just uh, look up but they described it as a um a buddy picture alongside a curb your enthusiasm sort of episode yeah, that's a good and, analogy actually. and for me once i got that once i thought actually that's what they're doing hmm. that really made it work for me because when it first started i was a bit kind of like is this right like is this sort of you know it feels a bit shaky hmm. um it's, it was Patrick Foley, by the way, who reviewed it. Um, th- but once I realised, oh, okay, wait a minute, what they're doing is this kind of um, realism, uh, kind of improv-style yeah. comedy where they're just joshing with each other about everything. Like, everything's a joke. Everything is, yeah. like, a-, a comedic moment. And they are also poking fun at themselves at their industry at yeah. the, you know, the the craziness of fame and what it means to be you know, an actor and, and all that stuff um i found it really uh, engaging I, I i was i found it fun um yeah. i wouldn't say i laughed out loud that much but i chuckled i, I chuckled a yeah. lot i was kind of constantly chuckling how did you find this one Brian? yeah i really enjoyed it i thought it was great fun you know you kind of sense what the setup is that you've got this actor who's in all honesty probably slightly washed up who had initial success as a child actor for a Walt Disney show and as he's grown up he's kind of lost his charm and his appeal as a child actor and hasn't quite survived that growing up process so now he's making ends meet by making commercials by doing voiceovers but by doing what actors do who can't find grown up work when they grow up from being a child actor i like that kind of approach to it and as you say um will is trying to um be realistic and be honest about uh, an actor's lot in life but he's desperate for recognition you know all actors will watch this and see something of themselves in will because he's trying to accept what the reality is that it's a precarious profession he's trying to send himself up Tom, I think he's trying to work out what the angle is for himself because he thinks to, you know, he thinks, you know, is there a book in it? Is there a feature in it? I'm doing a profile on it. And you know what sprung to mind when I was watching it slightly was Spinal Tap. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Only because um, uh, Rob Rainer was kind of playing Marty DeBerge. He was following the band around, wasn't he? Hmm. It's a similar setup here where he goes back home to receive this Lifetime Achievement Award, which was uh, engineered by his disgraced drama teacher. It's just a way back in for him, isn't it? It's just something to put on his CV. Although what value it has in reality is another matter. But I like the setup. As I say, I thought the Spinal Tap, because of the way that, kind of like Tom being the, uh, the writer, publicist, the hack, who's trying to get an angle on what's happening here. And he had some great lines early on, I think, Tom, as well, mm. when um, he was he was said, "Look, my, my dignity doesn't come that cheap." And when she, t- when the PR girl told him, "Oh, you get five thousand dollars," he said, "I would have settled for less than that. My, <laughs> my dignity was actually cheaper than that." You know, 
all that's got going, you know, it's going into the mix as you go along. And I think it's great fun. I think that it boils down to um, a series of sort of set pieces and there's some really good lines where it, where he's in bed watching an episode of himself in one of the chimp movies. There were some really funny lines coming out of that, you know, yeah. because he's watching himself as a kid and, you know, his dad's or his mum's talking to his dad in, in the, within the story and he said, said your dad's sick inside of getting that chimp, chimp out, of, out of prison. And you think, <laughs> that is a good line. I didn't expect that to come up. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was really good, though. I really enjoyed it. And uh, Yeah, I think you're right about those little lines because it's one of those, because it's got that kind of um, almost like, I don't know if it's mumble core is the right phrase, but there's so much delivery going on. There's so many of these witty one-liners, two-liners, yeah. and, <coughs> sorry, the characters just rapping with each other, and it you can easily go under the radar that they're actually making some very yeah. funny comments about life yeah. and about existence and all this stuff. Yeah. You have to kind of really stay switched on to, to it, catch it all. Well, very much so. I think it's the sort of film you really need to see again, mm. you know, because of that, because you do, a lot of these lines, as you say, are embedded in within the scripts and you don't really catch all of them. As I say, if you, if you go back on it and you watch him, lying on the bed watching himself as a child playing this role with the chimp. There's some really great lines. Whilst, you know, so it kind of takes you out of the storyline because you're watching the show. You're watching him watching the show. So there's that side of it as well. But you do miss a lot. A lot of the funniest lines do pass you by. So anyone listening, if you watch it once, make sure you watch it again. Yeah, I mean, I would say it is a feature, so you're going to have to put a bit of time aside, but yeah. it's worth it. And one of the other thing I really loved about it was the music. The music, um, yeah. which is like original music from Dakota Smith. Yeah, and it's good. Yeah, it, it, it caught me at, at one part. I was watching, I really enjoyed that. This is a really good track. Yeah, it was, and that, for me, it added a good sense of care to the film. Again, this was one that you could kind of tell because they even talk about COVID in the film with this one. It's kind of yeah. like talking about the pandemic and they're wearing masks and a lot of scenes. And you could kind of see that it was having a bit of an impact, maybe. Yeah. Um, that it was a really good way of... They, they, they seem to be able to create a story that kept an authentic feel throughout. It didn't mm. feel like they were having to... Um, sacrifice anything because the tone they'd gone for mm. was this sort of Kirby enthusiasm style realism mm. of you know guys quite often they're just yeah. walking down the street or they're just in a car just chatting yeah. that it was more about what they were saying and also the growing kind of bond between those two characters who were very kind of cynical they were very um yeah. you know just kind of making jokes about themselves and about everything. Yeah. It, it had that hard cynicism to it that for me felt raw and, but authentic that was so important to make the film work. Yeah. And it did for me. Yeah. I, I think you're right. The um, They started out, not adversaries necessarily, but they were kind of, there was some kind of quite acerbic comments going between them. But then they gradually warmed to each other and they actually got to like each other a lot. And, you see a friendship developing on screen as well. But you're right about the music, though. I mean, they could have they could have copped out very easily and just taken any any sort of classic West West Coast type record that might have worked. But they've gone for something new and original, and that deserves a lot of credit as well. 
Absolutely. Um, I think I'd like to just shout out to Patrick once more because I'm saying some of this stuff and I'm like, it's all in this review. And I don't know if maybe it's just filtering through <laughs> me, but I'll just read like um, one of the lines from his review, which was yeah. uh, moving, moving parts proves that not every odyssey has to be an epic and not every buddy movie has to feature actual buddies. I think that is very potent. That's that very, so true. Yeah. It does. Yeah. I yeah. think, you know, as, as much as we can gabber on, I think Patrick's review is excellent about this film. And obviously, it, well, it was a five star review, which was, an automatic selection for the festival if they want yeah. to enter. And I'm so glad they did enter because yeah. so often I wouldn't have got round to seeing a film like this. And I right. think the festival yeah. is the best place to see it because you can have such fun with this film yeah. just by tuning into what they're saying. And, yeah. and you, it's like, it's not epic. There's no big kind of budgets going on. No. Uh, if anything, it's kind of scaling it back so that it does feel more real because I think it's obviously talking about the different, aspects of fame and yeah. uh, what that means and to have it glorified wouldn't work with the tone of what the story is um, all about so yeah i think it was great really enjoyed moving yeah parts. no i think i think it was it's excellent but to say either watch it twice or watch it very slowly and mm. pause it when you get to a good line pause it memorize it remember it make sure you quote <laughs> it properly it'll go down so well it really will. It might have that kind of um, this is Spinal Tap cult appeal, yeah, you know, uh, like yeah. going back to it, getting the lions, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. I know. I mean, the analogy with Curb Your Enthusiasm is quite right, but Spinal Tap as well, just because of the way it comes across, I and mean, it has that kind of very naturalistic approach to filmmaking, and you don't feel like you're watching a film. Sometimes you feel like you're eavesdropping on a conversation, and I think that's the best kind of filmmaking. Sometimes is when you could feel actually part of it. You feel like you're in in the back seat of the car whilst they're driving along. It, ma- it makes you feel like that. It's a very natural approach to filmmaking. And I like to see more of that. I really do. Absolutely. So that was Moving Parts. Um, if you tuned in just for the comedy films, they have been done. Yeah. So the, oh. the next three are going to be slightly more uh, serious and yeah. heavy. But all the more important for being at the festival. These are some incredible films coming up. Uh, next up, we're going to review the feature film from Alistair Mackey, which is Anonymous. Step two, someone. Oh, believe in a higher power that can restore your sanity. Uh, step seven. No, humbly ask the higher power to remove your defects. And step nine. Make direct amends where possible and not harmful to others. Thank you, Leo. This is a fellowship who come together to share their experience, their strength and their hope with each other. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. This is a share session. So, who wants to share something? I had a bit of a breakthrough this week. Not much of a share, but I can tell you if you want. Can we maybe not tell anyone about this? Think about what you're doing, Abby. Think about what I'm doing. When was the last time you thought about what you were doing to me? I need you. I can't do this without you. I know I need them to- Just get off me. Get off me. Peter! You don't know! 
Yeah, I do. Would you kill me? This group is honest. It's brutal at times, but it's honest. First time I ever heard it's gonna be okay, and I believed it. That was in this room. And it just clicks. I am powerless. If nature... I think it's pretty cool what you did. Mother Nature, if, if she wanted to, she could just sweep me away. This was, for me, probably one of the more fascinating watches because it had a very theatrical feel to it, a, mm. a very theatrical setup. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Yeah, and it's done in a kind of real time sort of look and feel. So the story is of a guy turns up to an alcoholics anonymous uh, meeting, which it took me a while to realize where the anonymous was coming from. I was like, oh right, yep, it's AA, <laughs> right, yep, okay. Uh that's that's my bad. Um and he turns up a brilliant one shot um intro to the film where mm. it's just in the back seat of his car, the camera yeah. and just follows him into the car park. Uh and then he goes into this meeting, but kind of it's clear that it's his first meeting and he's very mm. reluctant to sort of sit down and he sort of stands at the edges and really struggles to sort of mm. find the uh confidence to really penetrate the meeting. And then we also then meet the characters mm. inside and their circle of people that are um there to deal with addiction and deal with um, uh, their dependency on alcohol and how they then rely on each other slash infuriate each other at the same time. Mm. <clears throat> what do you think of this one, Brian? I thought it was riveting. I think it was fascinating. I think you summed it up pretty well there, Chris, by the way. Oh, thank you. You, you make a great film review, you know, one day. One day, one day I will. One day. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I, I, thought, I think you've, you've nailed it. What fascinated me most about the film, though, was... The leading actor, I think it's Lucas Hinch who plays the man. He's never named, mm. but, he, but he doesn't speak. Throughout the film, he doesn't speak. And that gives it a kind of a, a slightly different edge. And you're, right, you're quite right, it does have a theatrical bearing. Because you can imagine this being being performed on stage, because it could be, it could be a, a one-act play very easily, where you, they're sitting in a circle and, and they're... Di- they're sharing their experiences of alcoholism. And I thought it was absolutely fascinating just to see it, these stories on g- gently unravelling. But the man not necessarily taking part. And it just it makes you think, right, what's he thinking? I, I'd like him to say something, anything, but he doesn't. And it, it makes it even more um, compulsive, really, because you think, Right, he is there. Is he going to come out and say I'm in the wrong meeting? I thought he was going to going to say, "Oh no, I'm sorry, I I I wanted bulimics anonymous or something." You know, I thought he was going to come out and say something like that, something that might break the tension. But but no, he was there. He was thinking, and one of the characters says to him at one point, he says to him, "It's okay. I didn't say anything for the six for six months of these meetings." So they're they're kind of acknowledging the fact that he's remaining silent. But it's a fascinating piece. It's really, really clever, smartly put together. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm still not sure what the significance of the blue trainers are. Did you notice the blue trainers? I did. There was a lot of shots of the blue trainers. Um, And I think one of the things that really struck me about uh, Anonymous was that if you were to take the story on its own, it's like, okay, I mean, we're going to go into spoilers a little bit because, yeah, like, there's not really much kind of resolution. Um, But it plays with this mystery of why is he here? Why is he actually here? And is there some... Because it felt a bit sinister at times. Like he yeah. goes out and gets a, a tool from his toolbox. I know. Like, oh, you wonder what oh, he's going to do. Is he going to kill someone? Yeah, is he yeah. there? Because what I thought that went through my head was, is has one of these people wronged him? And he's yeah. pretending to come to the meeting to get vengeance. Yeah. And he has a few times... Actually, he kind of has a lot of one-on-one meetings at some point because like a character will go out and have a cigarette or whatever or um and he yeah there was this it was playing with our expectation quite a bit to keep the tension really like say use the perfect word riveting it was like you were like just cranked up against the screen like what is going on here like why is he here what's he going to do next and little things like the shoes and Yeah. yeah him going to the bathroom and sort of freaking out a bit was like okay what does that mean? What does that mean? And I think it was to keep us on our toes, to keep us guessing when actually it was boiled down to something far more simpler, which was this character is going through their first step, which is important, right? The steps of um, the AA. I'd go, you're going into this meeting that, that's you're basically going through it with him and you're seeing maybe him looking at the shoes was him kind of like okay he's not meeting people's eyes he's looking at people's shoes and taking in rare or odd kind of um visuals that for me it just had that element of what is going on here i really really want to know more you imagine the agonies that he's going through because if that is his first AA meeting He's sitting there listening to what other people are saying. And you think to yourself, what's that triggering in, in his own mind? Because I, I always imagine that people that attend those meetings will have very similar accounts of how alcohol has affected their lives. And there's going to be a, a common, there's going to be common ground. There's going to be trigger points. And it keep, makes you wonder, you think, right, something's going to happen now. Did you think that the actor that was playing the man, Lucas Sinchlow, do you think he had a kind of a Nicolas Cage look about him? Oh, yeah. Because there was a film recently where Nicolas Cage didn't say anything. And it did, yeah, I actually got a very similar vibe. I was yeah. like, 
Oh, and I love that. I love the thought of, because the whole film is dedicated to people that have suffered with addiction yeah. and that maybe we've lost from addiction. And to have a character that is silent is so important. It's so important to think about, you know, there are probably people out there not talking about yeah. their addiction, not talking about it, not joining these meetings and not telling their stories when actually, like you said, there is people there from all walks of life yeah. with so such varying stories yeah. that it could be uh, it's something that could afflict anyone. It could actually just impact anyone, no matter what status you are in life. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be alcoholics. It, it could be, it could be anything. It could be people with bulimia, eating disorders, anorexia. Mm. It could be any kind of addiction or anything that you classify as an addiction that could be something that people need to sit down and talk about. And whilst it is, it's kind of like asking people to expose themselves, not literally, but expose their, their deepest thoughts, their deepest fears and their anxieties, and actually admit what's gone wrong in their lives. That's very difficult. And I think the, to play the part of the man, again, I come back to Lucas Inch, to play the part of the man who, who says nothing, right? That's a hard part to play for any actor. You've got no lines. You've got no lines. You know, you can bounce off other actors, but you can't respond. You're not allowed to respond because that's not what your character does. So you rely on expressions and mannerisms and body language. And he does that. He, he gets a message across the source. You know he's in a lot of pain. You know he feels a lot of anger. That's why he's there. But you don't know why. But it, it's making you curious. It's making you wonder why. And you still think, right up to the very last minute, he's going to say something soon. Particularly when the girl at the end um, says to him, you know, um, I'm looking for a sponsor or a buddy, whatever they call them. But nothing happened there. He still didn't say anything. So Yeah, like, she offered to be his sponsor, didn't yeah. she? Yeah, yeah. I um, think that was, yeah, again, uh, that I thought too. I thought, oh, okay, this is where we're going to, finally get it he's gonna finally but yeah. actually he didn't and i thought that was really good because like you said that other character had said oh it took me like six months yeah. to say anything but for him to have a sudden like u-turn yeah. very early on in that would have been a bit undermining and uh, yeah I, I think you're absolutely right about you know he spends his whole time basically reacting which yeah. is always i love this line from friends where <laughs> joey says oh that does not mean acting again. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah he is, he's just reacting to all these things. But yeah. I also think all of the performers have got a big job in this film because the, quite a few of them, almost all of them, have to deliver some kind of big soliloquy yeah. where they tell their story. And it's mm -hmm. like, I always find it hard with these sort of scenes because, like I said, you do get that theatrical feel. It's like, yeah. okay, yeah, this should be on a stage because someone's going to come down, the lights are going to go off, and it's just yeah. going to have one single spotlight on them while they yeah. tell us their story. And when it's a film, it can feel a bit stagey. It's like, okay, mm. is that working? Um, but I felt with this film, because of the mystery element I mentioned earlier, when yeah. you were getting these stories it made me kind of go, okay, is this connected? Is there something here that this character is going to 
come together, like you say, with the blue shoes or yeah. something that's going to go, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, she mentioned that and he said that. Therefore, yeah, but it, that never really happened. Never yeah. really kind of always come together. But for me, it, I, it glued me in because yeah. I was so intrigued by what this all meant, what this tapestry of um, you know, tragedy had kind yeah. of really meant that actually it was something a bit more kind of um, yeah. simple. Yeah, the plot could go in any number of directions because it's the type of type of film that you watch. You start writing the scripts as you go along. You think, right, this could happen, that could happen, um, and you kind of think one of the first things you think with a film like this is that all the characters must be connected in some way, have a connection. But it, it could just as easily be that they're completely relative strangers. Mm. Who are just there as a form of catharsis and talk about these steps that alcoholics go through when they admit they have a problem. And the um, the uh, soliloquy that they chant, you know, have the courage to admit the things I can't change, etc., etc. You know, and it all plugs into that kind of admission that they all have a the same problem but it takes them into different places but very enjoyable i would um i want to talk to you about one scene in particular which was so there's a there's a guy in the group and his wife turns up with a bunch of bottles and she's like oh you you used your daughter's pocket money or something to buy beer something happens he ends up hitting her yeah across the floor and i found it troubling because no character got up like no one got up to help her. Like no yeah. one. Like they, they kind of shouted at him, but there was no kind of like actual physical movement from anyone. The, yeah. I found that. Oh, but the, the 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 leader of the group, she kind of talks about it later, and she says, yeah. "You know, that's not for us to to get involved with." I just wondered what you thought about that moment. Yeah, you would think that in in writing any piece like this, that you uh, you express some basic moral values here. And you would think that characters in that position, there would be a much stronger reaction to what is a physical assault. But that might tell you more about the the physical and the mental state they're all in, that they're not possibly in a position to react in a way that you or I would. Mm. If you or I were there, we would have been a, a lot more vociferous in our response. We would have jumped in and said, no, stop, you know, get off of whatever. But that could tell you more about the, the way that the characters are living their lives, that they don't function properly without alcohol and they don't function as what we would call normal and they don't express normal reactions. But yeah, I thought that. I thought there would have been a, a much bigger melee, shall we say. Yeah, and I, I think... it. It wasn't that I felt, oh god, that that's wrong. I think mm. you're 100 percent right. It meant it made me think about, okay, why is their reaction not what I think it would be? Yeah. And I think I came to the kind of conclusion, and like when the the woman said about it later, that it was because they're there to fix themselves. Yeah, they can't focus on helping anyone else until yeah. they fix themselves, until yeah. they're in a position to be able to yeah. function properly, like you say, and. Yeah, like I was just interested by that because it really struck me that that scene. I was like, it didn't go the way I thought it would go, and yeah. a lot of this film didn't. A lot of this film didn't go where I thought it was going. Like where he goes and gets the tool out of his car, yeah. or when he's um, kind of lurking around the building yeah. and he goes into the wrong room at one point. Yeah, 
that to me it gave off this sort of suspense thriller of like okay what is actually what is he actually yeah. there to do when you know it kind of played out um differently so yeah i i think for me it was it has a few fireworky scenes but not that many like the no. the, the domestic abuse scene is probably one of the most fireworky yeah. scenes but the vast majority of it is just gripping you yeah. with great tension and great kind of characterization for me. Also, it's not predictable. I mean, you think about it, Chris, the vast majority of the films that you and I might watch, any of us might watch, any of the listeners might watch, most of them will be fairly predictable, right? They they will follow a fairly linear route. They will, most films do, because we will know that all films are written to one of seven formulas, aren't they? Seven or eight. And we know that by and large, you can you can hazard a guess at where a film's going. It doesn't make it any less enjoyable if it is predictable in that way. But there are very few films that are surprising. And this film keeps on surprising you because it doesn't do what you expect it to do. You know, we've seen a premise set out like this many times before, but it doesn't go the way you think it's going to go. So it keeps on making you wonder. In some ways, it, it kind of irritates but that is the idea of the film. It's to make you curious and make you want to know more about these characters. I mean, it's the, again, it's the man, as he's called, um, that you're really most curious about. Because we, we don't know as much about him as we do the others. But all the way through, it's kind of, it's kind of challenging you as a viewer and say, well, what's his story? What's this about? What do you think all of this means? Where is it going? So it's not predictable, in my opinion. So you get that from it as well, which is something you don't find in a lot of films. Absolutely. So if you can check it out, the film's called Anonymous. There are a lot of films out there called Anonymous, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so oh, look at IMDb, yeah. yeah. Um, this one is directed by Alistair Mackey or Mackay. I, I've said Mackey because I had a friend, that that's how he spelt it, but it could be Mackay. Um and yeah, well worth seeking out mm, and a definitely. really, really potent film. Yeah, very good. Next up, we are reviewing a short film called Mine Mahmood. Hi guys, this is Pratoy Shaha and I'm the writer-director of I Am Mahmood. First of all, I would like to start this by thanking the jury and organizers of UK Film Review Festival. Thank you so much for accepting our film. This means a lot to us. The film shot under extremely limited resources in Dubai and Sharjah uh, is very close to my heart as it talks about two main issues that we are facing right now. The loneliness that immigrants face all over the world and the language divides, be it any language, that stop them from living a certain kind of life. Now we are talking about one billion people over here. Uh, of course, in this film, we are talking about Mahmood, who is the protagonist, a middle-aged man who is uh, not very proficient in English. And as a result, he's on the brink of losing his job because he's not able to communicate properly. And his wife waits thousands of kilometers away in his home country, waiting for him to send her money. Um, now, this itself, this scenario itself, op- itself opens up a lot of conversations on how we can treat this issue and how... Uh, We can take steps integrating people irrespective of their language, race, creed, and all the different divides that divide humanity. Thank you so much. I I love the um, 
the main character, Mahmood, um, played by Osair Abdul Aleem. And um, I thought his delivery of that character was so good, really powerful. Uh, what did you think, Brian? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think, yeah, the actor playing Mahmood, playing the title role, I, I think it, it was so sweet and touching as a portrayal of a character that, that's desperate. You know, what I was thinking when I was watching this is that most people are able to work, live and work in the city they, they were raised in. Or if not, they they move to another city to live and work out of choice. Right? But imagine someone that has to leave their wife and child behind, move to another country just to make a living. And this isn't what you would call a good living. This is just about making ends meet, being able to send enough money back home to pay for his daughter's education. And it's it's gut-wrenching to watch. But you, the reason it's so gut-wrenching is because you know there are people going through this. As we speak, it's happening. And you think, oh, that's it's such a desperately sad life to lead. But I think it's easy to forget, you know, that in spite of what we're going through in this country at the moment, you know, there's always somebody a lot worse off than, than us. So I think it was beautifully judged and beautifully played and... As I say, the actor that plays Mahmood is sweet and touching and utterly believable. And um, so the film's written by uh, Prataya Saha, hopefully I'm saying that right, and he also directs. And I think there's a great ownership over the film. It feels very consistent that they're depicting this man's situation, that it's a familiar story for Mm. many, um, you know, struggling to adapt to other people's cultures in order to succeed in the sort of cutthroat world. Mm. And that for me, it felt like, because we always say this about short films, this could definitely be a feature. This could have easily extended. There's so many more aspects to this character that we could have gone into, Mm. but it definitely works as a short as well. Um, That I think one of the things it does brilliantly is, much like the, the previous film, um, minimal dialogue. It's mm. not got a lot of dialogue. No. A lot of it is kind of done through observation around the character yeah. and you know the situation. Him sitting in the car, like crowded in the back mm. seat, wearing a mask, trying to sort of get by. And I think the the film works very well with that to tell this story without overtelling it. And that for me was important because you don't want it to be kind of brazen you don't Mm. want it to be like oh isn't it terrible that people that uh can't speak english don't Mm. succeed it's like no no don't tell us show us like show us how that is how and we we feel the character's pain through the tone of the movie the tone of the film gets it just right to immerse you into how this person is feeling that you then empathize with the fact that they are handicapped they're handicapped yeah. because they can't speak this language this one language out of like however many words like uh, six thousand languages yeah i think that's a really good point chris uh that when you say that there's always a danger of overtelling where you can over elaborate with a story you know the best stories are the ones that are fairly simple and straightforward that delivers a message and all films have a message all stories have a message it delivers something meaningful even if it's good overcoming evil, it's a message of some sort. And if you keep that message simple, you don't overtell it, you don't over-elaborate. It's a short film, it can't do much more than that. But I think it's a lesson that could be carried over into feature-length films as well, where 
you don't have to be too clever and too erudite. You think, we'll make this really complicated. We won't. We'll keep it simple. We won't oversell. It's just, as you say, it's showing. It's not selling. And that kind of gives it more of a, even more of an edge. So I think it's it's a very well well studied piece. It's good. And again, the act that played him was just so real. You know, where he was kind of preparing to phone his wife or face call his wife, and he's having a shave and he's trimming the hairs from his nose and he's putting his good shirt on. You know, all that sort of thing. I think, oh, bless him. You know, you you, you just <laughs> want him to succeed, don't you? It's the type of character you think, oh, God, I hope it works out for him. You know, that's what you think. And again, like we said before, you create characters that people care about. That's job done. You know, it's a phrase I use a lot when we're reviewing these films, is that from the director's point of view, the writer's point of view, it's job done because they've made us care about the character they've created. We care what happens to him. We want it to end well for him. And that is good filmmaking. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as well to think about the film depicting someone in that way mm. in that we don't get a strong sense of why he's doing it. There's not a great sense of like, oh, okay, this person's suffering, but it's because they want to get X, Y, Z. It almost feels like he's surviving, mm. like he's kind of there, but he's got the the worst of both worlds. Like he's completely separated from his original identity mm. and he's trying to assume a new one but yeah. isn't very good at it and you get the sense that this person is just kind of powerless in the middle and they they kind of are in limbo because without either sticking to their roots or, or being able to actually adapt to the new way of life that they can't succeed they can't actually um get there and again i think a lot of that is not through what he says mm. it's through how he looks or how we, we see him because as the audience we get this great glimpse of his life in and out in front of people and mm. it's it's not that long a film um i can't actually it's about 10 10 11 minutes yeah. but it's we get so much of of that that you do are able to build up a picture but like i said you could certainly make this um a longer film yeah. certainly make this a, yeah that's like yeah, definitely. It definitely has that potential. You know, if you we were talking about Pandemic Spy earlier on, as much as we both love that, you're probably right. You're right when you say that couldn't be any longer. It is what it's meant to be. It's a tight, self-contained piece. But there are some short films you think, oh, God, I'd like to see more of this. I'd like to see it stretch out a bit more. And my mood, I am the mood, mind the mood. It fits into that category, I think, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, not to say I wouldn't watch a, a feature length of Pandemic Spy, but it would have to be by the. Yeah, you know, I'd have to know what I'm going into. You know, if they could stretch that out, maybe they will. You know, we were saying earlier about maybe people making more pandemic movies. If they did make you know a proper Pandemic Spy movie, you know, where it was like it was a proper James Bond film, but during the pandemic, yeah. which yeah, maybe, maybe they will. I, yeah. I would watch it. I'd like to yeah, see. Yeah, I happens. would as well. I would as well. I think I think it's ambitious. I think comedy is more difficult to write than drama. And mm, oh yeah, I yeah. think I don't know what you think, uh, but uh, drama is relatively kind of straightforward. I feel comedy is is difficult. You've got to come up with situations and lines that are funny, that work not only on paper but work on screen. That's the key. About I think with um, drama for me, it's always like 
you have certain topics and subjects that have an inbuilt pathos to them mm. that you know, okay, well, people are already going to connect with this because you're, you're dealing with something that's tugging on pain and pain is the, the biggest emotion. Yeah. When it comes to humor and laughing, people are actually a lot more kind of reserved with what they give away their laugh mm. to. And I think, and also it's so subjective. Whereas like, I don't know, if someone kicks a dog, you know it's bad. Like you immediately, yeah. okay, that's terrible. Whereas with a joke, you don't know if someone's going to find it funny. You don't know if someone's actually, it's enough to, to make someone laugh. And I think that, you know, I always give great applause to people that make comedy films because yeah. they've got no way of knowing. Where, where, you know, if you've got a stand-up on the, on the stage doing jokes, yeah. they know if it's funny or not because the, the audience yeah. will tell them pretty quickly. Get the reaction, not. get the feedback, yeah. But with a film, yeah. you just don't know. And often, you know, when these films do land in the cinema and you're in the audience, and you're in the audience of a very funny film with people actually laughing out loud, yeah. that atmosphere is incomparable yeah. to other atmospheres. The only other one I suppose is, I guess, like it, would be a horror film when you know everyone's yeah. terrified. Yeah. That is the, the two kind of... Uh, strong emotions that you get whereas I've been in dramas where I've been there like sobbing but I don't really know if anyone else is sobbing I just kind of get we all get it that it's a sad film and I think with a comedy it's it's a lot harder Um, it's that reaction that you get when you're part of an audience I think if you're seeing a a film or you're seeing a theatre show live you you feed off other people you you kind of subconsciously watch and listen to what they're doing and you feed off of them. Same thing for the performers. If they're getting that instant feedback, but as you so rightly points points out, Chris, that when you're making a film, you don't know what the reception is going to be. You don't know how well received it's going to be, but you just hope you're hitting the right marks and something that appears funny to you is hopefully going to be funny to somebody that watches it, which you don't, which it's not easy to sort of capture because it's only based on what you think works yourself. And it's only through festivals like this that they get to see whether it does work or not. So There we go. So that was Mind Mood. Uh, not a comedy, but a drama and um, a very good one at that, directed by uh, Prataya Saha. That's how I'm going to say it. Yeah. Um, and... Check it out at the festival. Um, we'll be releasing trailers for a lot of these films soon as well. So you can always have a little glimpse just to see whether it's up your street. Um, next up, one of my favourite actors, as we've already uh, gone through, mm. Toby Jones in A Moral Man. Helen. Uh, yes. What an honour to finally meet you. Um, Philip. That's me. Sorry, I... I wasn't... You're early, no? I don't think so. Exactly on time. Bit of a stickler for punctuality. What a lovely house. You're you're different how I imagined from speaking on the phone. Oh, really? How so? Don't tell me. I'll either be flattered or upset. I don't know, just just different. You're exactly how I imagined. Perhaps even stronger. Right. Be alone? Yeah. Shall we go indoors? Sorry, yes. 
Help me to uh, remove my shoes. It's almost too good, really, in some ways. It, <laughs> it's very strong, it's powerful, it's dark. And you've got two brilliant actors because not only have you got Toby Jones, you've also got Claudie Blakely. She's who, great, yeah. Who was really in Pride good. and Prejudice. Yeah. They're both excellent actors. And when you see, you know, when we get these films in, like, for example, you, we do these in batches of five, don't we, right? And I look through them and I start making some notes. I start checking them out, uh, sourcing them. As soon as I saw Right a Moral Man, right, then I saw who's in it. I think, oh, wow. Toby Jones and Claudia Blakely, right? You've got two excellent actors who are able to, for want of a better phrase, sprinkle some stardust on the story to begin with. Now, I'm not mm. saying you could get two very good unknown actors that could do it probably as well, but they don't have the the standing and the, uh, the notoriety and the profile that Toby Jones and Claudia Blakely have. And that's where it, raise, it raises it to another level because of who they are. And they just, it's just compulsive, really. <clears throat> it's, it's a very dark and disturbing storyline. It deals with euthanasia, doesn't it? Yeah, which I, broadly, we, we've, but... we've had an earlier film, Community Service, to, to deal with that's this right. topic. That's right, yeah. And yeah, yeah. This, it came up again in this yeah. film, and I thought, oh, we really are hitting the uh, heavy things. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, we didn't really give a synopsis on this one, so you, you go ahead, Brian. You, yeah, well, Toby Jones, Toby Jones is actually Toby Jones's character, Philip, is dressed as a, <clears throat> a reverend or a vicar, some a cleric of some description, but he's billed as a, an evangelist who, <coughs> excuse me, who provides a service, um, but is faced with a crisis of his own morality when the person that he intends to help, uh, Helen, played by Claudie Blakely, isn't suddenly ill. She's actually, she actually lied to him and that she wants to take her own life, that she has mental issues and he believed he was helping her end her life on the basis that she had cancer. And it, it, got, it goes through, it takes you through the agonies that they both feel the fact that she wants to end her life and the fact that he has been drawn into it, drawn into a situation, an arrangement that he hadn't agreed to. But he, his purpose is to end unnecessary suffering. But she wants to end her, end her life, not because she's terminally ill. So it raises a broad question about euthanasia, but also the added ingredient, I guess, is the fact that she's not terminally ill at all which kind of alters the basis for euthanasia. And it's a very challenging issue and a disturbing issue, but brilliantly active and well-observed and gut-wrenchingly sad. But very good, though. You cannot yeah. take your eyes off it. No, absolutely. Because, again, much like uh, Anonymous, this played, for me, it played with the expectation of the viewer because you get this character coming... And you see Toby Jones's character kind of fiddling with his dog collar in the car, mm. and yeah. coming out with these two red balloons and, and dragging his uh, mm. canisters with him. That for me, the first part of the film, I was like, okay, this character seems dodgy. He mm. seems like he's the one I should be watching. He's the one that's yeah. about to cause some kind of sinister trouble. But then mm. it shifts, and then you realise that, oh wait, no, 
he is the legitimate character, yeah. albeit a you know, interesting one. You know, whether or not you agree with what someone like that would do, that it was the the, the woman uh, that was actually the person that we should be watching because she had lied to him, as he said. Because there was a few of these little um, touches, like she asks him at one point, like, "Oh, how many have you done?" That mm. I thought for a good part of this film. I thought she was trying to catch him out. She was trying to get yeah. him, like they, she was there to trap him, to, to yeah. kind of get him to go, oh, right, yeah. And then suddenly they were going to yeah. burst in and arrest yeah. him. I know. And when you realise that the film wasn't about that, it was like, oh, yeah. wait a minute, this is a completely different movie. Um, yeah. But again, yeah, much like Community Service, it, it, it really explored the topic, but in a way that wasn't just grandstanding and shoving it in your face and saying, we should do this or we yeah. shouldn't do this it was just saying that look, you know if you had a story like this if you had a someone's life in front of you like this how would you feel what would you do what would your mm. feeling be on what they're talking about and like you know you have this crisis of faith that the main character has he sort of goes off to the bathroom at one point and he's mm. not you know he's, he's struggling with all that that that's kind of how we're meant to feel we're meant to feel unsure about how we feel about this and that's okay it's not the, the mm. filmmaker isn't trying to give you the answer and say, it's more just saying, do you know what? Let's have the conversation and let's yeah. talk about it. it yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's not making any kind of judgment. It's just, uh, it's just setting the facts in front of you, in front of the audience and saying, well, whether we like it or not, this happens in life and that there are people going through this type of dilemma. You know, it does happen. There's no denying it happens. You know, the, I think the, um, Toby Jones's character, I, I think he, you know, almost in some ways, I think he's kind of thinking to himself, "Am I starting to play God now?" Whereas previously he didn't think he was. You know, he's thinking to himself, "I'm, I'm ending someone's life when it doesn't serve any purpose." Where in, in, in his own mind, if he was ending the life of somebody who was terminally ill, who wouldn't be getting any better and would only be in pain. He's en- he thought he was ending somebody's pain, but he's not necessarily doing that. Mm. And, you know, it, it will arouse very strong reactions, a film like this, because people will have strong views about, broadly speaking, euthanasia. And that's what, why it's an, an important film in that way. You know, it's the sort of... They're the kinds of stories that, you know, filmmakers once upon a time might have avoided... Because because it is dark and it's depressing, but it but it's it's happening in life. We can't necessarily close our eyes to it because it is going on. And yeah, I think you're you're right about that. Like divisive nature of the story, people may have shied away from that. You know, not, oh, you know, we don't want to do that because we're going to divide our audience. But hmm. I think that's exactly what this film was trying to do. It wants you to have the conversation on the car ride home. Uh, you know, later it wants you to talk with whoever you watched it with and say, yeah, yeah it's interesting. Isn't it? you, know, you, know, like you, you picked out all those points there. and mm. you, One could talk about those points for hours. There's oh, yeah, so much could. there to unpick. And I think yeah. the fact that this film does so much in less than 20 minutes and is able to give you a star-studded cast, you know, yeah. amazing, amazing uh, short yeah. film, but one that is also doing so much that is bold and that is mm. um, compelling yeah. In a way that I, I found it really fresh, really engaging. Yes, it is bleak. There obviously is is it's a bit of a downer in terms of the what's happening, but it's not a downer in terms of 
how you come away from the film. I, I came away from the film very much charged. I very much was like, okay, mm. wow, I'm very affected by that. I, I, I will be watching it again for sure. Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot. That's pretty much all these films are worth watching more than yeah, once. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this one in particular has a lot that I thought was very sort of um, thought provoking. So for for this film to have emerged um, from independent filmmakers, you know, people that are doing this for the love of it, I, I just think absolute hats off to them. Really hats off to them for doing something so well. But it's also an indication, though, of how much regard the actors had for the story. Because well, when it was yeah. taken to them, they recognised something important was was being presented to them. And they, they said, yes, you know, they thought, yes, this this is... This is worth, I mean, without wishing to sound too superior, but they could say, right, they could, being the actors they are, they could be a bit a bit choosier. That's what I suppose I'm trying to, trying to say. And mm-hmm. they could say, right, yep, yeah, we like this. This is worthy of our attention. We'll do it. Because actors that have that kind of standing can, can say no to, to projects they're offered. And it, it, as you say, it's unusual to get high-profile actors to take part and participate in a, in a short film. But that gives you a sign of how much regard they have for the story, the fact that they agreed to do it in the first place. It tells you a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was A Moral Man and the final film that we'll be reviewing today. A bit, uh, the entire selection that we've mentioned um, will be showing at the festival as are all of the films that we reviewed in previous episodes and are going to be a lot more films too that we're going to be hopefully covering. Oh, yes. Um, it's very exciting. Uh, it's happening on November 12th, 13th uh, on the UK Film Review website. We've made it very easy this year. It's just going to be on the website. There'll be um, access only for people that have got passes and you can buy a pass on the website now. Um, it's going to be great. Uh, we're going to do some things with the filmmakers. We're going to do more of this um i know uh, a couple of the other podcast shows are going to do a, a bit of a dedicated episode to it as well so yeah please do join in and be there because it shouldn't just be me and brian watching no. these films here it should no, be everyone quite... so yeah, absolutely yeah, let's have more of us there um but yeah thank you again to everyone for for listening um and we'll see you again soon it's goodbye from me And it's goodbye from Brian. Bye. Take care. The UK Film Review Festival is back. Join us for an incredible selection of feature and short films. Review the ones you see and do it all from the comfort of your own house. November 12th to 13th. Festival parties are on sale now at ukfilmreview.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.